As Jesus embarked on his earthly ministry, it was paramount that he established very quickly his authority so that people would listen to his message. And we've witnessed that authority in the first chapter of Mark's gospel as Jesus called some of his disciples. Uh, He astounded the people of uh, Capernaum with his uh, teaching in their synagogue and casting out a demon from a man that was present there. The people immediately recognized that he taught with authority, unlike the general rulers of the day, and he possessed authority even over the realm of Satan. But there are many other demonstrations of the servant's um, authority in the Gospel of Mark that we're going to take a look at today. Uh, today we find that Jesus had authority over human, uh, human in, uh, infirmity, and he had authority to direct the focus of his ministry. We live in an age where science and technology and pharmacology have uh, greatly impacted human disease and suffering. Uh, Certain immunizations have virtually wiped out diseases that once were a scourge to humanity. But when Jesus came into the world, circumstances were far different than this. Now imagine a world where there's very little uh, medicine, uh, there's no surgeons or hospitals, uh, doctors would be very scarce, and where you would be fortunate to live to be 70 years old. It's no wonder that people flocked to Christ when they learned of his power to heal all kinds of diseases and with only a word or a touch. Yet these acts of power and kindness and compassion were not the major thrust of his ministry. They certainly substantiated and supported his claims and caused people to listen to his preaching, but Jesus never went on a healing tour. He never held a meeting for signs and wonders. People flocked to him for healing. He did so, but his purpose was to bring them into the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching people about his identity was the focus of his coming. The disciples did not yet fully understand this. They needed to be redirected in their thinking, and we too need to be reminded today of the central focus of ministry as we promote the gospel of Christ in our generation. So as we look to these verses today, let's ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we do pray today uh, that you would bless your word to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to once again uh, be amazed at the miraculous power of the Lord Jesus because he was the Son of God. But Lord, we don't really focus on those miracles. We focus on his preaching, his teaching, and ultimately his sacrifice to save us from our sins. Help us, Lord, to direct our ministry in the proper way, even as Jesus taught his disciples in his day. And we ask your blessing as we continue in in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we want to notice here from this passage is the servant's authority over human infirmity. 
Now, Mark describes for us here three specific incidences of healing in Christ's diverse ministry. These include the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, the healing of a leper, and the healing of a paralytic in chapter 2. And in the midst of these specific healings, Jesus indicated the underlying purpose of his ministry. So let's first of all look at the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And uh, as we do this, let's remember there are those who teach today that Jesus was the first, or excuse me, Peter was the first pope. Um, but if he was, he was married. I wonder why the pope can't be married today. Anyways, that's just kind of on the side. Let's take a look here at the scene in verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Okay, so remember that this all occurs on one day of ministry in the life of Christ. He's taught that day in the uh, synagogue. He... uh, uh, cast out the demon uh, from the man who was present there. He stunned the people with his preaching, and uh, he showed them and again amazed them that he had power over Satan himself as he cast out this demon. Now, after the service that day, Jesus goes from uh, the synagogue to the house of Simon with four of his disciples. And evidently, Simon's mother-in-law was living with him. Perhaps she was widowed. That might have been why she was there. And she was sick with a fever. They inform him of this in verse 30. Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Now, Luke says this was a great fever, And the verb suggests a burning fever. So uh, we're probably up to 103 and 104 today, which can be very dangerous over a lengthy period of time. Now, most of us understand what it means to have a fever. You're miserable. You're bedridden. You're probably a little nauseous. And today we can take some Tylenol. We can take some ibuprofen. If it's serious enough, we can call the doctor's office. But then you pretty much just had to suffer through it. So the disciples tell Jesus right away about her condition. We don't know how long she's been in this state. Maybe they knew this beforehand, and this is one of the reasons that they bring Jesus to Simon's home. And then verse 31, Mark just very briefly describes this healing. Now in Luke's account, we're told that Jesus rebuked the fever. And that kind of is a little strange because, you know, how do you rebuke something uh, that is, is non-personal? Some believe that this might indicate demonic power behind uh, the presence of that fever because this is the same word that is used of Jesus rebuking the evil spirit back in verse 25. But we can't take this to mean that demonic activity is always directly associated with our infirmities, as some people would have us believe. Now, Jesus takes the woman in verse um, 31. He came and took her by the hand. He lifted her up, and immediately the fever leaves her. Now, that's a miracle. That's amazing. 
that the Lord Jesus, simply by a touch, can make that serious fever go away. And uh, it's his word alone that casts out demons. We're never going to find a situation where he touched a demoniac, but many places he gives that compassionate touch to people who are suffering in some other way, and uh, he raises them up, he heals them. Now, she's completely and immediately healed, as we're told, she served them. Now, I don't know about you, but when, um, when I get over a fever, it's not always an immediate thing. You don't just hop out of bed and get right back to normal activities. Uh, if you do, you may suffer a, a relapse. But when Jesus healed, he did so thoroughly with no residual effects. She's able to get up immediately and go to the task of serving the people that are present in Simon's house. Now, as the story moves on here, we're told that further healing occurs there in the evening of that day. Verse 32, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So much more is going on as the day closes out. Now, it's likely that the result of what happened in the synagogue and then at the home of Simon is spreading through the town very rapidly. Uh, and so people are, are going to flock to this person. They want to be healed. Uh, they want uh, perhaps people they know that are having uh, oppression by demons uh, to come to him. Now, it was the Sabbath law, however, that on this day, you did not work, and you, you had travel restrictions. You could only go so far on the Sabbath day. Um, so the people waited until sundown, because that was the official end of the Sabbath day, and then they began to flock to Simon's home with all these people and all the diseases and issues and problems that they had. And Jesus did heal uh, his mother, the, the mother-in-law of Simon on the, the, the Sabbath, he will heal others on the Sabbath, and that will become a great issue with the Jewish rulers in the future leading to conflict. Now it's too early for that to, to start going around. So people are brought to Jesus with all kinds of ailments, uh, as well as people who are possessed by demons. And Mark always differentiates between these two realms, between uh, human affliction and, of course, spirit, supernatural affliction. And he is able to heal those who are uh, um, uh, infirm with a physical condition, and he always casts out those who have a supernatural problem with a demon. Now, Jesus demonstrated his power very clearly over both of these realms. And Mark, more than the other Gospels, demonstrates this in regard to casting out demons. 
Now, Jesus, as we see here, would not allow those demons to continue speaking because they were against God. They were the enemies of what Jesus was doing, and Jesus did not want his name to be gotten out there uh, through those who are uh, in the realm of Satan. But it does say here again that they knew him. And again, whenever we we see situations like this and we see a a demon voicing something, they're always trying to identify who Jesus is and that identification is true and it is real. But of course, the Lord Jesus wants people to discover that truth as they hear him preach, as they hear him teach, and as they hear uh, see him perform miracles and heal people. The messianic truth was not going to be proclaimed by evil spiritual beings. Uh, That just plain wouldn't work. So he doesn't allow them to testify as to his nature. People need to come to that on their own as they understand who he is by what they hear and what they see. Now this leads us to another healing uh, in verse uh, 40. Okay, uh, the cleansing of the leprous man. So let's go over there and let's take a look at this healing, which occurs uh, at a later date. It doesn't tell us when, uh, but certainly it is something that is quite amazing that Jesus does in this first stage of his Galilean ministry. In verse 40, we're told that a leper came to him, imploring him or pleading with him. Now, leprosy was a very debilitating disease in that day. Actually, the the word that we have uh, really covers various kinds of skin diseases, including Hansen's disease, which is our modern-day understanding of what uh, leprosy is, and it's likely that's what this man had. And a person who contracted this type of a skin disorder was required to go to the priest to determine if it was malignant or not, and to go through a strict procedure for testing it and for cleansing it. Now, obviously, this man's condition was malignant, and very likely that form of Hansen's disease, which was so dreaded in that day, because it would end up killing you. There was no cure for it. It would turn your skin white. It would eat away at your extremities causing you to lose fingers and toes. Um, Most people would be repulsed by your appearance because it would be on your face. It might be eating uh, at your ears and at your nose. And uh, you would be uh, repulsed by the way this person looked. And also, if you had the disease, you would be ostracized by society You couldn't touch people. You couldn't be near people. When people approached you, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so they would know uh, not to come near you and contract that disease. Now, leprosy then also becomes symbolic of the debilitating and polluting nature of sin that eats away at your soul and eventually causes your spiritual death. Now, this man approaches Jesus, which he was not supposed to do, and begs him for healing. He comes to him, he falls down on his knees, 
He takes this humble position and he makes his plea to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he had faith in what Jesus could do, but he didn't know if Jesus would do it, perhaps because of his uncleanness. Now Jesus is not moved by repulsion, as most people would have been, but by compassion. Verse 41, then Jesus moved with compassion. And again, here is something we see often in the life of Christ. He loved people. He cared for them when they came to him for healing, casting out of demons, whatever their need was. He looked upon them in this way with love, with compassion, not with pity. Uh, Pity just makes you feel sorry for somebody, but love uh, makes you do something to alleviate their condition. And that's what Jesus did when people came to him. He had this compassion for them and he did something uh, about it. All right. So Jesus uh, uh, reaches out to this man. He touches him in verse 41 and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, normally, if you touched a person who had this leprosy, uh, that would make you unclean ceremonially, and you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't go to the temple, and you couldn't worship God uh, for a certain period of time because of that touch. But I don't believe that's what happened to Jesus because he was the source of the healing. And when he touched that man, that man became immediately cleansed from his condition, and uh, the Lord Jesus heals him. Now, if you were there, imagine what this man may have looked like. Lots of times they would wrap some of their wounds with rags, and they might be like hanging down with pus and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, you're there with Jesus, you're the disciple, you see this man, what he looks like and how awful it is, and Jesus says, you're healed, and all of a sudden, he's just as, as perfect in his Uh, outlook as you could be. His skin is all cleansed. In a moment of time, everything changes, and uh, probably our jaws would be dropping as we saw the power of Jesus to change that man's appearance. It would have been uh, probably far more stunning than even the uh, taking away of Simon's mother-in-law fever. So the Lord Jesus again Uh, is doing something that is miraculous that only can come from God. And he's showing people again who he is. The power that he has goes far beyond the physical realm. Now, these acts of uh, healing demonstrate Christ's power over infirmity. They also indicate a deeper spiritual truth. Now, Matthew uh, parallels this passage And in his description, he includes a quotation from Isaiah 53 that reads, He himself, speaking of Jesus, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So Matthew connected what Jesus did in healing that horrible infirmity. He takes it back to the Old Testament and he makes a a connection between the prophetic passage of Isaiah 53 and what this person is doing to fulfill it. So he's showing the people that this is not just a man, 
This is the Messiah. Disease, infirmity, sickness, all came into the world through the curse. And they are physical reminders of the disaster and the destruction sin causes, which ultimately results in our spiritual death. And Jesus' power to heal was a demonstration of his authority over sin's devastation physically and spiritually. And through faith in him, we're cleansed of the deadly disease of sin. Now, let's go back in the passage and observe the Lord's authority to direct his ministry and uh, to remove confusion that people might have had about it. And this is demonstrated in what Jesus says to the disciples and then what he says to the man who was healed of his leprosy. So let's go back and look at the directive to the disciples in verse 35. All right, now, in the morning, having risen a long while before day, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So first of all, let's take a look at that verse. We need to notice here that ministry is energized by communion with God. After that Sabbath day of ministry that we've described over the last couple of weeks, Jesus did not sleep in like many of us might have done after a long, hard day. No, he rose up early, long before daylight, to have a time of communion with his heavenly Father. And when you put all the Gospels together, this was a regular habit of his life. Now, in Mark's Gospel, This is only one of three times that he alludes to Jesus going to a solitary place to pray, but it comes at a very strategic point. The Lord is about to leave Capernaum, which will kind of be the central uh, uh, city for going out and preaching, and he's going to go into the surrounding towns and villages, kind of a new campaign. And as he's about to do this, he needs to be energized by the Spirit of God. And he goes to his heavenly Father and he has this time of of, of prayer and fellowship with him in preparation for going out into this new aspect of ministry. So successful ministry must be seasoned in prayer. So how often do we seek the Lord's guidance, his energy, his power to do his work? One commentator noted, prayerlessness typically manifests self-sufficiency, but prayerfulness reveals humility. If the Lord Jesus needed to spend time with God in prayer to succeed in ministry, why would we think we don't need to? Now, meanwhile, the disciples search for Jesus in verse 36, and Simon Uh, already is starting to come out as a leader. Uh, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone's looking for you. All right, so uh, it seems that the people were starting to collect again at the door of Simon's house early in the morning. Uh, Jesus isn't around, maybe to their surprise. So Simon takes the lead in this kind of frantic search to find where Jesus went. 
And this term used here for searching uh, indicates eagerness, concern, maybe even being a little bit disgruntled. Where in the world could Jesus be? We need him to be here. People are waiting on him. We got to go find him now. So they literally track him down. They finally uh, reach him and immediately inform him that everybody's looking for him. Uh, People want to be healed. Uh, Perhaps there are folks there that are possessed by demons and they need to be uh, cast out. Uh, What a great time for ministry. And here you are. We can't even find where you're at. And large crowds are surely in their mind what Jesus wants. Uh, People are just waiting for his return. What a great, amazing opportunity to continue his ministry here. But the disciples were misunderstanding what that ministry was really all about. And Jesus then gives his uh, directive, not in a harsh way, but kind of an inviting way. This is what we're going to do. Verse 38, he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come. So, Capernaum, as I said, was the central district of that um, area, that region. Uh, But around Capernaum, usually around a major city, there were a lot of smaller towns and villages where people uh, lived, and he wanted to reach them. Not everybody was going to come to town and hear him. He wanted to go out there and reach those people. And notice that Jesus said to the disciples, well, we're going to go here. We're going to have a healing campaign. We're going to go here. We're going to cast out more demons. No, he said, we're going here and we're going to preach. That's the central issue of my ministry is preaching and teaching the word of God and showing people how I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. So he redirects their thinking along these lines. That's the focus of his ministry. The disciples had the wrong focus, the wrong idea, focusing on people getting healed, uh, demons being cast out, popularity in the city that would drive in more people to him. But that's not what Jesus' directive is about. It's about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's why he was sent out. That's why he came out, not came out of Capernaum, But why he came out of heaven is to teach people who he was. So that's what they do. Verse 39, he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Again, uh, showing the power of the kingdom of God or the power of Satan. But preaching is the main thing here in the synagogues, the places where people came and worshiped. He could go to the Old Testament. He could go to passages that would relate to him. And the people would begin to understand who he was and why he came. Today, we need to remember the focus of ministry. It's not music. It's not signs and wonders. It's not building a mega church and your own little kingdom. It's reaching souls through proclaiming the gospel and building those people who are saved up in the faith. Now the Lord 
has another directive that we might think a little bit strange. So let's go over to uh, verse 43 and what he tells the man who was cleansed of leprosy to do. And he begins with a very strict warning as soon as he had healed this man. Verse 43, he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. Now, uh, Mark uses a very strong term there, suggesting sternness, even a touch of anger. Jesus was adamant that the man listen to what he had to say and obey his instruction. And it may indicate that Jesus already knew that he would not do that. And so he's really adamant in what he says. Now, his directive is in accordance with the law of God as he tells the man what to do in verse 44. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them, i.e. the priests. So, in a situation like this, the law demanded that a person whose skin condition was healed has to uh, take a sacrifice to the priest that would be offered to the Lord in thanksgiving and go through this process of cleansing. And once that was done, he would be officially declared clean by the priest. He could rejoin society, worship in the temple, and get back to a normal life. Now, this procedure, however, could only be carried out at the temple in Jerusalem. This man was up in Capernaum. So, two or three day journey just to get down there to Jerusalem. So, that means he would have to travel. He would have to go through the time period uh, and, uh, of his cleansing. And Jesus, in telling him to do this, was ensuring that the law of Moses would be kept. And furthermore, he says it would also be a testimony to the priests in Jerusalem of his healing power when uh, the fellow explained to them what happened. So that would be a hint to the priests of Jesus' identity as Messiah. It would kind of be a forewarning that when Jesus came into Judea, they would have to make a decision about who he was. Now, the most curious part of this directive is the Lord's admonition that the man keep silent. He starts out by saying, see that you say nothing to anyone. Zip it. We can understand why Jesus demanded that the demons not give testimony to who he was, But why instruct this man who had just been wonderfully um, cleansed not to say anything to anybody? Well, first of all, Jesus may have meant that he was to say nothing until he was declared clean by the temple priest. And then at that point in time, he could explain his experience. 
counting the travel time and how long it would take to go through the ceremony would have been at least a couple of weeks, maybe longer. And during that time, Jesus could continue his mission, uh, his agenda, not calling people to come out and see him, but going into the towns one by one where he could deal with the people on a more... um, Uh, individual level, preaching in their synagogues, then healing as uh, the need arose. And Jesus likely knew uh, that uh, this would would happen or would not happen if he started broadcasting all over the place what was going on. And uh, through that period of time, it may well be as Jesus is, is getting to be known by everybody, that the healing would be less sensational than at the beginning of the ministry. So if this fellow goes out, he's going to hinder uh, Christ's ministry, focusing on the miraculous healings rather than the preaching of the gospel. It would draw people to Christ prematurely. It would mess up his plan, his agenda to do it his way, And Jesus likely knew that would happen, and that's why he gives him the warning. And if we look at verse 45, we find out, well, that's exactly what did happen because he does disobey the Lord's directive. Um, However, he went out and he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter. Now, we can understand why he would feel like doing that, but he still disobeyed a direct commandment of the Lord Jesus. And the result is that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. So instead of him being able to go to them, uh, each individual village, they began to flock to him. He couldn't go into a village because it was just too much... uh, um, Uh, drawing to him. He couldn't go to the synagogues and preach, so he had to go to the deserted places and the people would come to him. Of course, they did come to him. He still was able to reach them, but through this man's disobedience, uh, a change in the agenda had to be made. Now, let me just read a quotation by a commentator on this. Publicity of this sort resulted in excessive and probably misdirected popular enthusiasm, which was a serious hindrance to Jesus' mission. He could have cut down on that, going about his business the way that he planned. Now, from these healings and ministry uh, directives, let's glean some applications. First of all, The power of Jesus to heal all sorts of diseases and to cast out demons were indications that he was the Messiah promised to Israel and the world. And when we go to the scriptures and we scan the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, nobody comes close to the number of miracles performed as Jesus, not the prophets, not the apostles, And as a matter of fact, we're told in the scriptures that this is just a small fraction of all the healings that he did. It says here, all kinds of diseases were healed in Capernaum, but we only have examples of three. And Jesus did this uh, consistently. 
So again, these are evidences that he was the son of God, and they still remain evidence for us in God's word today. Secondly, Jesus' power over demons and human infirmity were not the main thrust of his ministry. They proved he had supernatural power. They demonstrated his compassion toward human suffering. But the most important aspect of his coming was for people to believe that he was the Son of God who became the Savior of the world. And our mission today, again, is not to promote signs and wonders, but the preaching of the gospel to the lost. Thirdly, all ministry has to be energized by God. The gospel portrayed Jesus as a man of prayer, as dependent upon his relationship to God the Father for power in ministry. Do we rely upon the Lord to serve others? Where does our strength for ministry come from? If we spend no time in fellowship with the Lord, how can we sufficiently minister for him? Then when Jesus saw people in their need, he had compassion upon them. He was moved or controlled by compassion, by love, not by pity. And again, that was demonstrated because he alleviated the condition that caused their pain and their suffering. And sometimes I think that, that Christians are, are, are rigid and, and stern in dealing with people that's not really evidenced in the life of Christ. So do you seek the Lord's help and being compassionate in your ministry toward other people? And finally, disobedience is always a hindrance to ministry. We're not under the same restriction that Jesus placed on this cleansed leper. We can freely proclaim the gospel today. We're told to do so. And Jesus had reason for that man's silence at the time of his ministry. He may have had good reason in his own mind to ignore Jesus' warning, but his action deterred the ministry of Christ. And our actions, our words, our lifestyle will either help or hinder the ministry of this church. So is it your constant desire to obey every directive of the Lord Jesus so you might further the gospel in our area? May God help us to apply these truths to our lives this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that uh, in these lives of Christ, we are shown that he indeed was God in flesh. He was able to perform miracles, to heal people in such a way that no one had ever seen before. He was able to cast out demons that oppressed so many people in that day. He was able to teach your word with authority that awed people. And all these are signs to us that Jesus is who he said he was, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus who came from heaven to be our Savior. So Lord, help us to be encouraged uh, by what Jesus did to prove who he was, and Lord, apply these truths to us today. And Lord, we pray you speak to our hearts. If there are those that have not yet received him, help them to open up their hearts and minds to the truth that they find in the Gospel of Mark, and help us who do know you to proclaim you 
with the way we live and uh, uh, how we interact with people and try to reach them for Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.